Becky, look at her banner. It's beauty, bitch. Warning, this show contains adult content, strong language, mature themes, discussions of sexuality, politics, triggers, and <gasps> feminism. Listener discretion and or earphones are advised. Welcome to Bitchstery, the podcast about badass women in history that were left out of the history books. I'm Kelly McLean. I'm Lisa, also known as Smarty Pants Lisa. This show is about some bitch-splaining, some feminism, some history, and, you know, some political stuff. All the things you hate about Facebook, we love on this show. <laughs> we do, so much. <laughs> and that's why nobody talks to me on Facebook anymore. <laughs> Unfriend it, Will. Uh-huh. I'm a professional astrologer, obviously a podcast host, and I have a degree in business, which bores the absolute shit out of me. So I like to call myself a doctress of bitchology. Uh, I studied history and literature, which doesn't bore me, but I don't know how to make a living from it. So here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly makes me use the term bitch historian. That's my official title. She likes it. Oh, uh, okay, go. That's your line. I was going to read it, but. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, review, and particularly on Spotify and Apple, if you would, so that we can continue to sing the praises of all the unsung bitches of the world. So many, so many. So many. We find so many every time we like have a meeting about topics we're like oh my god there's so many anyway we found we find like the topic and then after that we find like 30 others i feel like i know so we're (laughs) gonna do this podcast basically forever is what we're saying um you can also visit us on anchor.fm forward slash bitchstery and if you feel inspired you can click the support button or ping us about sponsorships or ads and stuff like that and here ends the reading of the intro, ever so eloquently by moi, because I am beyond fucking exhausted. So we record and upload every two weeks. We probably could do it weekly, um, but we don't have enough resources to make that happen currently. So um, if you want more bitchery, then, you know, help some bitches out. Anyway, Cha-ching. two weeks yeah, two weeks ago when we talked about, um, what did we talk about? Lady spies in World War II. Yep. Um, and oh my God, that's totally going to become a, like a running thread that we're going to continue for quite a while because y'all, there's so many badass spy bitches. Um, in other anyway, ways, I was even like the civil war person we found. Oh yeah. It's crazy. But World War II in particular, just so mm-hmm. many, um, Yeah, but so much has happened in the last two weeks. So the day, let's see, the day before the new moon in Aries, I'm an astrologer, so this is how I date things. Um, I got word that the house that we'd been renting for like six years, and you know what? Don't at me about you throwing your money away and renting. Fuck you. I live in California. Um, (laughs) The day before the new moon uh, got word that we were not going to be able to stay in that house. Um, we were going to have like 90 days, but where I live, well, it's California. I think most of you understand, but where I live, you know, there's, there's not enough inventory to purchase or to rent. So it's 
it's a crapshoot either way. So a lickety split, um, got into, you know, looking for some stuff and apparently manifested some miracles. Cause like in 24 hours I had two, two places. So anyway, then this week we moved and I am exhausted. I'm recording this from my room, which is the only room that is even remotely sane. I'm buried in boxes. My fingers hurt. I've broken my nails. I, I can't walk. My back is fucked up. Um, there's a person painting in my kitchen right this minute. <laughs> and um, it's absolute chaos. Absolute chaos. I hate moving. This has been a horrible move. And so I'm a little discombobulated and I've leaned on my long-suffering friend and co-host, Lisa, to um, kind of do the heavy lifting, listing, <laughs> heavy lifting this week because I am utterly useless pretty much. So I'm just going to be here like going, yeah, yes, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and that's I did not know that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm okay. It's been a crazy week, but not moving. I'm moving is like you have to touch everything you own, which makes it suck. Twice or uh, three times. <laughs> yes. Once coming and once going. You should see my garage. I I was parking my car in there and it's bigger than our previous garage. So it was really kind of cool. But it's literally wall to wall, floor to ceiling, empty boxes right now. Oh, wow. I just, I, when I empty a box, I just heave it into the garage with with rage, I might add, um, <laughs> because I'm just so frustrated with this process. Um, so it's just a box graveyard out there right now. It's awful. So I'm well, gonna have to. It's getting towards the end of the month, so you could probably advertise tomorrow on uh, next door. Be like, hey, I have free moving boxes. Just come by. They're <sighs> in the alley on da da da. Yeah, that's true. I, I probably will end up having to call the junk calling service that I just paid at the other house to haul a bunch of stuff away um, to come clear it out because it's it's a going to be a massive amount of cardboard. It's bleh. so when Pat's home, when my my husband's home, he likes to make a little run over the cardboard recycling place, but um, I don't. <laughs> And there isn't like, there's just not a good way to do it. Plus they have to be all broken down. And I, I know that I'm just being a fucking princess, but I would just rather like pay somebody else to do it. And, you know, like I'm putting my money energy out there and, you know, I believe what you put out comes back to you, even when it comes to like money and energy like that. So I'm okay with contributing to the economy in that way. <laughs> um, Anyway, yeah, it's just a fucking nightmare. So, been a uh, shitty week. I myself like to cut down cardboard. It's like a stress reliever for me. Well, come on over, Lise. We will. <laughs> we will get those numbers have, from the doctor down. And I don't know if they'll let yeah. me on a plane with it, but I have it. <laughs> I got all the supplies. You just show up and rip apart cardboard. <laughs> um. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, there was something else. No, no, whatever. Anyway, I was asking you how you were and then, oh, and so anyway, the day before the new moon, we've got the news. And then like the two days after the full moon, we were all moved in. That's two weeks in case you're keeping track at home. So, um, you know, in astrology, 
the new moon, you, you know, manifest and you state your intentions and things that you want to start. And then at the new, at the full moon, you let go of things, things come to fruition, things, um, kind of wrap up or end or close. And so it was just really like, I mean, that's a really dramatic way to demonstrate the moon cycles. Thank you very much universe. I could have used something a little more subtle, but sure, whatever. <laughs> so. Anyway, I am useless. Pretty sure I already said that. It's the only thing I'm good for is repeating myself. So, <laughs> all right. So you lost glasses. Am I right? Yes. Okay. I lost my wallet. My aunt, who was incredibly organized, lost her. First of all, she lost her keys. And then just yesterday, she called to tell me not to text her because she lost her cell phone. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's a black hole swallowing things up. <laughs> it sure seems like it. Yeah. I've never found my wallet. Um, what? Yeah. She's still found. She she found her keys. So far hasn't found her cell phone. So. That is crazy that you never found your wallet. I know. It's insane. Especially because I work from home. So how many place, different places could it be? You know what I mean? Well, same. Like, so here's what happened with the glasses. So I was taking a kid to school in the morning and normally I wear contacts, but in the morning I just throw these glasses on my face. Um, so I put on my regular glasses and, you know, about halfway down the road, I was like, okay, I'm going to put on my prescription sunglasses. So I did that. And usually then I'll take off my, whatever's on my face and kind of tuck it into the front of my shirt or stick it in my bra or whatever. Um, sometimes around my head, but often in my bra, like the kids will even go, I'm like, have you guys seen my glasses? They're like, did you check your bra? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes at the end of the day, I find a pair of reading glasses down there at the bottom, just kind of nestled in. I'm like, Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anyway, so I get home, I take the prescription glasses off still in the car I'm in the garage. And I go to put my regular ones back on and I'm like, where the hell are they? And I thought they'd fallen down in the seat. I turned the car upside down, inside out. Of course, not literally trying to find those glasses and they are nowhere. I looked under the seat. I looked everywhere. They are nowhere. I cannot figure out. I thought maybe they were in my lap and they fell when I stood up. No, I have no freaking idea. So weird. Yeah. Well, on a Sunday, I went to the grocery store. And I used my card. So I had the wallet on Sunday. I didn't actually realize it was gone until Wednesday, which is my day to go to the office. That's so crazy. And so sometime between Sunday and Wednesday, when I didn't leave the house at all, my wallet went missing. That's I checked so crazy. the car. I went to the grocery store to check lost and found. Nobody's been using my cards. I've been checking online and um, I tore apart my car. I've torn apart the house, which is for reference, a thousand square feet. So it's not like I have a lot of places to look. It's not a hoarder house by any, I wouldn't say it's neat as a pin in here, but it's not a hoarder house either. So it should be right. Apparent right. My wallet is. So I don't know where it is. It's got swallowed up by a black hole with my aunt's um, keys and cell phone, I guess. That's and your glasses. So weird. Yeah. It's just weird. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all the news from our personal lives. Let's talk about some actual news. <laughs> and you know, so Lisa prepared most of um, the show, but of course I have like one bullet point, which is Britney Spears <laughs> is pregnant because you know I like to talk about Britney. Um, 
she's pregnant and sh- her Instagram is still as batshit crazy as it always was. And <laughs> it's interesting because I I keep hearing, I guess this is just because this is who I listen to, but I keep hearing male comedians um, talk about Britney because, you know, everybody talks about Britney, especially comedians, and about how, you know, they're like, well, I don't know, maybe she needs to be on conservatorship or Dr. Dr. whatever. Okay, wh- why is Kanye West not on a conservatorship? Why is Mitch McConnell? Why is... Antonio Brown. There's any number of men. (laughs) Oh, right. Seriously. Anybody who plays for the Raiders. Why is... um, (laughs) Lisa, I just made a football joke. How proud are we of me? I was writing in my journal. Hang on. Go ahead. I know. (laughs) My husband is going to go, shwing! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway. um, Like, there's, there's all kinds of people who exhibit crazy behavior who aren't in a conservatorship like they're crazy but they're still able to you know pay their bills and run their lives and okay maybe they're running their lives in a weird way but what hell like why just because she's Brittany and she's clearly cuckoo kachoo does she need to be in a conservatorship you know what she needs more than that she needs a makeup tutorial because bitches if you look at her Instagram she either has like super duper black eyeliner all the time, or she has smeared black eyeliner. And I'm like, Brittany, are you just like drunk all the time? What is happening with the, the smeary makeup? It's not just like one day, it's all day, every day. And she <laughs> she posts like the same video. She's just, she's she's not all there. But I still don't think she needs a conservatorship. So. She's allowed to have smeary makeup without a conservator, I believe. Well, she, she makes these weird. Like, she just needed to fire her stylist. She was like on an interview, mm-hmm. and she was wearing. You know, she was dressed casual. Okay, you don't have to dress up every time. Which you know, t-shirt, whatever. But she's like chewing gum. Like her hair is. Oh, she, that's she's chewing famous gum. for I'm like, that. Spit Recently? out gum. And fire your stylist. I don't know what is happening right now, but. <laughs> You're on an interview. I think she was like on the Today Show or something. You know, I'm like, okay. Like recently? No, this. I mean, this was a while ago. Okay. She, back in the heyday, she was always famous for like chewing her gum. And um, one time at one of the dance recitals, mini backstory, I used to teach dance and um, I helped run this this um, dance studio. And I always was the like producer director for the dance recitals. And so I was always backstage with my little headset and, you know, wearing black the way I like out of sight, <laughs> telling people what to do and wearing black. This was totally my, my, my jam. But, um, because I was a teacher occasionally I'd have to come on stage and accept some award or listen to her talk about me or something. And, one year I'm up there and I'm listening to her talk and I'm just like gum, 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 on my gum. And when my mom saw the video, she's like, oh my God, with your gum. I was like, whoops. <laughs> I didn't realize I looked like Britney Spears up there, but um, yeah. So yeah, she, I don't know if she's had a stylist for a long time because on Instagram, she you know, she looks fantastic, but she Girl wears the weirdest cut, shit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. But she wears the weirdest shit and she has ugly shoes and she just does this weird, like, 
model thing where you shift your weight from one hip to the other. And she just does it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that's all she does. And then she changes outfits. And in the next post, she's like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Or she does the little spin, the spinny spin, 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 spin. Um, it's really insane, but she still doesn't deserve to be in a conservatorship. I have dated people who deserve to be in conservatorships more than Britney Spears. So anyway, she's pregnant oh, and I have uh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. She's <laughs> pregnant and she's talking about her tiny fetus all the time. So, um, Lord. so there's that, you know, that's our Britney Spears bullet point. It's a big one. Hmm. So, okay. We're yeah. here to the Queens of Brit news. I just want everybody to know. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting edge. We totally are. Um, so the mask mandate. I'm still. Uh, I still. If I go somewhere crowded, I still wear my mask, even though I have same. Shots. Same. Um, I don't want to get any. I don't want to get sick. If I get COVID at this point, I'd be so mad. I've Wouldn't you be pissed? Day. Right. I'd be I know. So bad. But yeah. So far, I have not gotten COVID. I did all. I've done all the things. Um, and you're out and about way more than I am. I got it. And I don't go anywhere. I also have OCD hand-washing habits. So I think that saved me some. Maybe. And there's also Chinese grandma voodoo. So I never get sick. So <laughs> I need some of that shit. Um, yeah, I think we caught it in Northern California. Because um, we well, got it last. Chinese. So that doesn't explain anything. I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> um, well, San Francisco was a hotbed in in the first wave and the second wave and like um just because it's so densely populated and we were up there and I didn't realize that um what was the variant that was swooshing around delta we I believe we had delta that's just my intuitive suspicion um and then I think my whole family got omicron including my cats one of my cats almost died and um the vet was, you know, speculating about asthma and all this stuff. And I've had this cat for, I don't even know, seven years. None of my cats have ever been sick a day in their lives. And they all kind of got this like sneezing thing that moved through everybody. But two of them got really sick and one really almost died. And then um, I talked to the vet and they also thought that it was probably COVID. So it was just super weird. Wow. I well, and to be fair, like I got I got exposed to COVID a couple times. I don't know if I got it because that was a time when testing was ridiculous, and so I didn't really want to go wait in line for three hours. Right. Um. So I just basically isolated. I I called work and I said I'm not coming in this week. I'll work from home all week and just stayed out of crowds and whatever. But I didn't, you know, I could. So I could have had it. I just didn't know if I did. Yeah. So yeah, mask mandates. Um. I don't really understand how one federal judge overturns a thing. Do you understand how this works? Well, I feel like they can challenge it in any federal court. And then once it gets struck down there, they 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 challenge the premise of it, I guess. Yeah. And once it gets struck down there, then it's like, okay, we've we've challenged that rule, so you know, nobody has to do it. And people can still do it. I think there's still some airlines who are going to do it. But then 
I, I don't know. I just feel like the airlines, even though they want to stay safe and they want to keep their people safe, they're so sick of dealing with idiots. They're who... sick of dealing with people fighting them. Yeah. And also, it was very strange to have the rule change mid-flight. But then, you know, like if people are tuned into the news, they're going to be pissed off if they find out that they didn't have to be. Yeah, I don't know. People are so uptight about the masks. It was really weird, though. Um, the judge that overturned it stating that it was a CDC overreach basically is a Trump appointed federal judge in Florida, of course, because Florida and, um, yeah, so there's some, there are some critics saying that, let's see, what is the wording here? that the decision is troubling based on the interpretation. She's what's known as a textualist. Don't know exactly what that is, but there's literalists and there's textualists. It's like when you are interpreting the Bible, there's the people who are super literal and God literally made the earth in seven days. And then, you know what I'm getting at. Um, It's the same with the law. There's different ways to interpret it. So there's the literary people and there's the textual. I don't know what that is exactly. And then, there's a another one, but I don't know what the word for it is because I didn't prepare for this show. So, um, <laughs> here we are. yes, but here we are, um, just <laughs> thrilling, thr- thrilling the ear holes of our listeners with our um, randomness. Anyway, the um, there was some criticism. Oh, here it is. Criticism about the interpretation based on the 1944 federal law known as the Public Health Service Act, or Pshaw. <laughs> Um, her decision revolved around the meaning of the word sanitation, which is not defined in the statute. And so that word is what's going to get her overturning it challenged again. It's just a big mess, as we know, because Florida. And I believe you have some bullet points about Florida. Do you not? (laughs) I always have bullet points about Florida. So a couple weeks ago, I said... That I felt like the, you know, Republicans or just the, G- I don't even know if we can call them Republicans anymore. Like you said, like, what are what they? even are they? They're just, I mean, the people on the right and not everyone, um, but a great many right now are, um, have a lack of a platform. I don't think they, I don't feel like they have yeah. a platform. Like we want to no, reduce, like- we don't want to reduce spending. We don't want to do this. It's just like, we just want to challenge everything about everything. Yeah, the Republicans no used reason. to be. Yeah, small government, contrary. leave the businesses alone. And the Democrats were like, no, we need regulation and big government, you know, da-da-da. And that's generally how I've understood the two parties as I have, you know, been growing up. Am I growing up however, yet? I'm not sure. However, I feel, so I said that I was, every time that they launched some sort of, like, fucking crazy initiative mm-hmm. because they have a lack of platform that I was going to call them out. And in this, in this particular one, I'm going to talk about right now, not only have they been like a complete lack of platform, but they're always accusing the Democrats of being anti-business. Right. Exactly. And this is about as anti-business as it gets. Absolutely. So we talked a few weeks ago about don't say gay um, oh, and gay, gay, let me gay, just gay, say, gay, 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 um, so, and finally, after some conjoling and some protesting by their own employees, Disney, who is, you know, a big employer in Florida, 
Mm-hmm. Finally Huge. came out and said, you know, even though they've given $50,000 to DeSantis's um, campaign and they've, you know, they've, they've contributed a lot to the GOP because they do get a lot of tax breaks in Florida. Right. Um, they have their own, like Walt Disney World in Florida has its own like sort of semi-government situation. Like they're their own district and shit. Yeah, they don't anymore. Yeah. They took that because so exactly they spoke out about it and said, you know, like we we don't agree with don't say gay and we are going to do everything. Not only do we not agree with it, we're going to do everything that we can to basically fight against it. We're going to mm-hmm. get money. We're going to speak out against it, whatever. So as as a um, fu to Disney, they got rid of their special their tax basically they disney had their mm-hmm. own tax district like you were saying right so, mm-hmm. um but how that happened was like back in like the late 60s when they were trying to build disney walt disney really petitioned the state of florida it was that he had already proven that you know disneyland in, in california was a big money maker it was right for us all the things that florida wanted so mm-hmm. he really pushed for the florida to give them kind of their own domain where they could build roads without that. And it was basically just even like they were going to pay for all their own stuff, but they didn't have to ask, like if they wanted to build a road or they wanted to, you know, do certain things um, that you normally would have to petition the state for, they could just do because they were sort of in charge of their own domain. The reason why they got it is um, this is, this is the latest numbers that I found were from 2019. So, um, and this is according to Oxford Economics. In 2019, F- Disney produced um, $75.2 billion uh, that brought to Central Florida, which is also 463,000 jobs and $5.8 billion in additional sales tax revenue. So, and for this, they're getting, you know, they have their own district, they're paying for their own stuff, whatever. Um, they have a tax. They also pay, they, not in addition to like the regular taxes that everybody pays, there's an additional tourism tax that hotels have to pay, you know, anything that has to do with tourism. So, um, right. they pay um, 6% in Orange County and 12.5% in Osceola. Um Oh, 12.5 tax and Osceola resorts have a 13.5% tax rate. Um, So they have their own um, district, basically, which is known as Reedy Creek. Um, And so they now they're going to dissolve that district, basically, and they're absorbed into other districts. And so what that means, basically, is that, um, you know, other districts are going to absorb the cost of the, of what happens there. So if Disney wants to build a road, if Disney right. wants to, you know, um, do water treatment, if they want to do anything, they have to ask the city just like any other company would. And so right. I think DeSantis sort of sold it as like, okay, but we're, we're giving them this break. But what is actually happening is Reedy Creek historically operates at a loss every year of approximately five to $10 million. So Disney absorbs that cost because just it's, it's as for the convenience, basically. So they absorb right. that cost. And according to lawmakers, there's as much as $1 billion in debt that's in that it's right now in that district that now, since it's dissolved, Florida taxpayers are now responsible for it. Disney's not responsible for that anymore. 
that got absorbed and now Florida taxpayers could become responsible for that. So, I mean, how many thousands of dollars is that per household? Don't know. So, I mean, right. it's not pro-business. It is not uh, lowering taxes for your citizens. Mm -mm. Um, and it's basically just now that they're done fighting with Big Bird, they're apparently going to fight Mickey Mouse. What was Big Bird's problem? <laughs> Big Bird got on Sesame Street and told everybody that it's a good idea to go get vaccinated. Oh, so God damn it, Big Bird. How dare you? It was about a lot of woke uh, propaganda telling people to go get vaccinated, even though they've all been vaccinated. Um, mm. But yeah, so that Big Bird's on public, public uh, television, so he shouldn't be, quote unquote, giving political commentary, which... Apparently, getting a vaccine oh. is political commentary. So they fought with Big Bird for a while, but now they're done fighting with Big Bird, and now they're fighting with Mickey Mouse. So there you go. Remember so when they were fighting with Bird and Ernie? And the only thing that it the only thing that it basically did is, uh, you know, make Disney mad. And they the state of Florida took on an additional billion dollars in debt for literally no reason. Uh, and there's been a lot of other states, Colorado included, that yeah. invited Disney. Like, hey. You know, things are going so well for you in Florida. Like, we're happy to discuss any kind of, you know, tax breaks that you might want to get to come here. I, you know, I like the right? idea, but in Denver, like, we don't need any more tourists. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Anyway, so yeah, uh, that is my, that is my this week. I mean, I can do it every week because it's like, or every two weeks, whatever we do. Because there's <laughs> a platform is just doing stupid things. crazy. To make themselves yeah. seem more appealed appealing to a um base that is basically i don't know controlled by fear i guess i could say i don't know i don't know how else to put it it's just so weird yeah it's just weird it is weird so this is the kind of preparation lisa does when she is having a shitty week and she doesn't really have a lot of time guys just saying <laughs> these notes are so extensive and i'm like you're the best. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then just briefly, I just want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ew. Only to ask the question. Sorry, Seriously, Jordan, the best you can do. Honestly. I can't even. Three, three Georgia men signed the Declaration of Independence. They are, for your reference, Button Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, and George Walton. All floor, all Georgia boys. Sign the Declaration of Independence. And who do you have sitting there in your elected official? Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is on trial. Uh, not trial, I should say, but they're trying to... She should be. Um, yeah. They're trying to basically disqualify her from running next time for her yes. participation in the January 6th uprising. Yes. Rebellion, sedition, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of interesting the way that they're doing it is... Um, they're using a rarely cited part of the 14th Amendment. Fourth, 14th Amendment, the part that they're usually using is that everybody has a right to due process. It's They use the 14th, mm -hmm. 14th Amendment all the time for um, basically like gun uh, background checks and all that. It's like, well, there's no due process. Why should this person have to go through, you know, background check and all that stuff? So it's right to bear arms or whatever. So they use due process quite a bit. But the one that they're actually using for this is sec that's section one. They're actually using section three. Um, and section three is basically has to do with 
um, inciting rebellion, exciting an insurrection or whatever. I just copied mm-hmm. it because it's short, but it says no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as any member of any state legislature mm-hmm. or as an executive or ju- judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given mm-hmm. aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may vote by a two-thirds of each house remove such disability. So that is the world's longest run-on sentence. But Yo, the Constitution's full of them. <laughs> but it does say that, and they've put many, um, you know, of her tweets on there, basically talking about QAnon and basically encouraging these people and basically, you know, all the stuff. Uh, that she doesn't now she doesn't remember now i don't remember any of that okay well here it is on your twitter lord um but yeah she looked at the blinky light do better, georgia you can do better stop this she's so insane she she should be in a conservatorship over britney spears not over britney but instead of britney well she's just a really good example about people who glorify ignorance honestly People who are banning, who people who are banning books, people who are, you know, we. I mean, there's so much, so many things going on in Florida. We like banning books is the thing that we don't even have time to talk about. <laughs> That's the sad oh, part I know, about right? going on right now. Yeah, is that there are so many other things which we'll talk about in coming weeks because they're not going to be done banning books anytime soon. So don't think we've overlooked that. We have not. It just there's only so much we can talk about. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Her name just makes my blood pressure go up. She had um, hashish in her vape pen, which I agree is dumb, but come on. We're not even talking about her. (laughs) I cannot even. um, Did we talk about this on, you might have been the one who said this, where they were trying to downplay it so it couldn't be used against us. Right. They don't want to use her. They don't want the Russians to be able to use her as a pawn. But I mean, we're not going to say anything like nothing. Yeah, it's pretty weird. The whole thing. And we're I'm like, what are we waiting for? We're just going to wait till the whole Ukraine situation, hopefully, you know, winds up or Russia realizes, you know, we're not winning. We're not going to win. Right. And this was a huge waste of time, money, energy. everything. Yeah. Completely destructive. Lives, yeah. Unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah. Last I heard um, on BBC, like the, the damage was at like 65 billion or trillion. I'm like, how do you even how do you even begin to count? as high as this is going to go. It's just outrageous. Well, the planning is ridiculous because like so many of the things that they got um, captured, I guess, by the Ukrainian, Ukrainian farmers were like towing their tanks with, you know, because they ran out of gas, but it's just like, aren't you the world's largest producer of gas, Russia? Right. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, I don't know what planning you did or whatever, but, and a lot of their generals did get killed and or captured. So that could be, also part of it but good lord yeah there's so much to talk about there but um yeah it's earth day i guess we're celebrating earth stuff earth day today love your mother um so yeah we're going to talk today we're going to talk about um some sheroes who are fighting for the planet that we call home um Mm. Well, just some so call it home. I'm just visiting, but yeah. <laughs> just visiting. Um, so in, in like in the late 60s, there was a lot of things going on. Like 
um, air was getting so much um, worse with, uh, you know, industrialization. A lot of more people were moving to cities. Like the agrarian, the agrarian economy was, you know, pretty much, you know, as at the lowest point it's ever been. And so all the people mm -hmm. moving to cities and, you know, uh, and we were all using leaded gas. And in the late 60s, especially in 69, there was a lot of oil spills. And so there was yeah. a lot of attention to, you know, we're killing the earth. We're doing, this is disgusting. We, I don't, I don't want to live here or whatever. Um, but it was like, you know, raw sewage and, you know, toxic dumps, pesticides, you know, um, there was a lot of th talk about, um, thalidomide poisoning, um, causing birth defects, yeah. things like that. Mm -hmm. So, oh my God, have you seen those pictures? I actually have a friend who um, is a thalidomide baby. She does oh. amazingly well. She doesn't have, she has hands, but she doesn't have arms. Um, mm. And she has yeah. to wear, she has to wear braces on her um, legs to walk, but she does walk very well. And Such she's a, deformities. she's got a master's degree and all that, but um, yeah. yeah, not good. Mm. Um, anyway. Anyway. So there was a lot of actual um, bipartisan support used to be, when both sides of the aisle could agree without just disagreeing for just stupid reasons. What? <laughs> <laughs> but, and there was also like people in the city, people, you know, in the, in the, um, in like rural areas, also business leaders, labor leaders, they all agreed like something's got to get done. Right. So, um, this day in 1970, they created Earth Day and it was just basically to uh, address some of these issues to start, planning like what you know what are we going to do to like fix this what are we going to do to like do better um so in 1970 um we created the epa which i know all the small government people you know are just like oh government would you know places would they don't need to be policed well yes they do i've been to mm -hmm. and a lot of places where there is no epa and trust me we need it <laughs> it's not good right um they also were passed the National Environmental Education Act, uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, um, OSHA, and the Clean Air Act. And uh, two years later, they um, passed the Clean Water Act. So a lot of things started came out of this first Earth Day, including yeah. also including the Endangered Species Act, uh, federal oh. insecticide, fungicide, and rodenticide act, or as I like to call it, shovel. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, a lot of things came out of this Earth, the 1970s Earth Day um, that we still have today. So we're going to talk about a few sheroes as we go along. And we sort of broke them out into um, different areas of environmentalism, not just... Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, too, is um, one of the books that was really prevalent in 1969 that sort of led to this sort of idea of stewardship of the Earth was... Um, remember now um spring i'll edit this out rachel carson spring something about spring i so, don't know i'm a dummy what okay one of one of the books that led to um this idea of stewardship of the planet and protecting the planet and all that is um a book by rachel carson called silent spring which if you haven't read i recommend um she just talks about you know the environment and how um you know not just uh cleaning up what we have now but it's like how are we gonna how are we gonna leave it for our kids how are we gonna leave it for our kids kids how are we gonna leave it for people 100 years from now that we don't even know you know 
and uh, just stewardship. But anyway, it's a good book if you haven't read it. So one of the first people that we're going to talk about um, is LaDonna Redmond. Redmond. Um, she's a champion of uh, environmental justice. And one of her quotes is, food justice is not just about nutrition, it's about dignity, and it's about being visible. Um, she's based in Minneapolis. Um, and she, um, in her Chicago community, she realized that, you know, when she was living in Chicago, that she, that there was not a lot of nutritious or organic food in her community. Um, there was, there were no, like, you know, there's no whole foods in her, in her lower income neighborhood. It was basically just, um, kind of the conversation that we're having today about the dollar store, you know, in a lot of lower income areas, like there's no really good grocery stores. It's just like dollar store. And the dollar store is mostly sort of not as nutritional yeah. type of food. And also in the public school system there, um, you know, she said that, you know, they're not, they're not feed, they're feeding those kids cheap food. They're not necessarily feeding them, um, mm-hmm. nutritional food. So she f- actually started the idea of like you know, community gardens, urban farms and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, empty lots uh, where she was. And um, so she started like basically a community garden there. And she co-founded what is called Chicago Food Systems uh, Collaborative, uh, which is basically, you know, they look at creative ways of um, addressing food access and public health in lower income communities. So... um, she also is the founder of Camp- she, Campaign for Food Justice Now, which focuses on inequalities within the food system in regards to race, class, and gender. Um, so for income neighborhoods, they should have the same access to, um, you know, good food to eat, clean water, those right. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, the next person we're going to talk about, she is a New Yorker. Her name is Majora Carter. Um, And she's a champion of, you know, what you call maybe accountability. Basically, um, she was from the South Bronx and she would like she was she's a runner. She used to run every day with her dog and um, her dog would routinely pull her into this weedy vacant lot (laughs) when they were running because there was a lot of trash in there. They're like people illegally dumping in there. Um, you know, it was a waterfront property on the Bronx River. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of a gross lot where people would dump trash and it just got dirty and God only knows what's going on in there. So, um, but she start, but she saw some potential there. So, um, you know, and it was 1966 then. So there was some trouble. There was kind of trouble there. It was sort of a rough neighborhood, I guess. Um, but the neighborhood was becoming increasingly um, African-American, which led to a lot of the white people moving out of the Bronx. Um, mm-hmm. they, they didn't want to live. They didn't, they didn't want to uh, integrate their neighborhood. So they started moving out to the suburbs. So when they left, a lot of the money left as well. And when the money left, a lot of, you know, there, a lot of politicians were just like, well, the money's leaving. So we're leaving. <laughs> they just sort of left them to their own thing. Jeez. A lot yeah. of as, as property values, you know, decrease there, um, you know, landlords were losing money. So they started torching their own buildings to like collect insurance money. And there's just a, like a lot of corruption going on around there. So, you know, when she was living there, just the Bronx was getting degraded financially, physically, you know, things like that. And, um, she started speaking out against, you know, 
the way that the city just basically turned its back on that. You know, there was high and they right. started putting in a lot of things like waste treatment facilities and dumps and things that still mm-hmm. happen today. You know, they put pipelines right through the middle of, you know, poor neighborhoods. And if Flint was Beverly Hills, they would have had clean water. I was water just trying a to long time ago. I was trying to like work in the word Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it, so, you know, she, she brought up the ideas of, you know, race and class and how they are treated unequally as far as basically harmful environmental, um, factors, things being built in their neighborhoods or neighborhoods just not being cleaned up like they should. So she secured funding for a park, um, called, um, SSBX, which stands for sustainable South Bronx. Um, it's basically an organization that uh, looks to improve uh, the environment and economical st- economic state of the South Bronx through green job training and other green programs. Um, SSBX, um, she is an executive director there, and she, they created the Bronx River Alliance and the Bronx Environmental Stewardship Training Program and collaborate with uh, MIT's Mobile Fab Lab, which is a mobile digital fabrication laboratory. So basically they're working, the Bronx River Alliance cleans up the shores of the Bronx River. uh, And they also um, promote, like I said, accountability for the continued care of the river um, and the pollution in the area. And the stewardship training program is one of the very first urban green collar training programs in the nation. They're they're training people in the neighborhood how to care for, you know, the environment that's there um, and to make sure that, you know, uh, any kind of the agricultural stuff that they've planted just even trees or bushes are getting um, cared for. And she also co-founded the Washington DC uh, nonprofit called Green for All, um, whose mission is to promote a green economy to raise citizens out of poverty. So creating jobs through um, sustainable industries, solar, all kinds of things like that. Hmm. Um, Okay, next person is Marjorie Richard. And she's another social justice warrior. Um, Did they all start with M? Am I dreaming? <laughs> no, LaDonna didn't. Okay. LaDonna didn't. Um, yeah, I tried to pick all the M's. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but this lady, I kind of felt like I was, I was like, learning about her, you know, over these pa- this past week. She's kind of like the African-American Erin Brockovich kind of sounded like. Ooh, nice. Um, she's like, her quote that I found that I really liked was, you have to go out and command justice. Somebody has to ask God for the inner strength to be bold. Um, she's the first African-American to win the Goldman Environmental Prize in 20, 2004 for her successful campaign for relocating people who lived in a community close to a chemical plant in Norco, Louisiana. Um, Old Diamond is, is like is the name of that. Um, she Her family lived there for four generations, but it's also unfortunately known as Cancer Alley. Um, at this time, this small town reportedly had r- high rates of cancer, birth defects, and other serious diseases, and all the ailments were thought to be related to the oil refinery plants owned by Shell and and its subsidiary, subsidiaries. Um, so she said she has said that the defining event in her life to become an activist was in 1973, when a Shell pipeline exploded and killed an elderly woman and a teenage boy who was just happened to be there mowing the lawn. Right over mm-hmm. exploded. Uh, she recalled spotting a body lying beneath a sheet, and the teenage boy who who was still alive then was covered in burns, blisters, just really awful. Um. 
so, you know, it was right then she decided she was going to, you know, fight against, you know, this this thing that was in her town that she'd lived with for four generations. Uh, and in 1989, she was a medical, middle school teacher. Um, she founded what was called the Concerned Citizens of Norco to seek justice from Shell for a fair and just resettlement costs of her family. So in 1973, that's when the explosion happened. She's starting this in 1989. So I, Shell just got off scot-free, I guess, <laughs> during all that time. Uh, but she started that in, in uh, 1989. But over the next 13 years, she led a community campaign about um, hard science, grassroots organizing, media savvy, everything you need to know to get your story out there. Mm. Uh, she joined forces with environmentalists and researchers and released a report that showed that Shell Refinery and Norco released more than 2 million pounds of toxic chemicals. 2 million pounds of toxic chemicals into the air every single wow. That wasn't total. That was every single year. Uh, in 2000, Shell finally agreed to reduce its emissions by 30%, which is still a hell of a lot, and improve its in emergency evacuation routes and to pay voluntary relocation costs for residents who lived on the two streets close to the plants. Two streets, really? Um, and then she goes under advocacy for um, environmental justice and care for black communities. So that's the next one. Um, the next person is Rihanna Gunn Wright. She is where we we're talking about um, right there in Michigan. She worked for the department, Detroit Department of Health in the mid um, 2010s. And she realized how environmental shapes and wide range of social justice issues. Um, but they urgently needed to address climate change. Um, and you're not gonna solve the problem with just solar panels. Uh, people are still being poisoned, um, you know, and it has to be on a national level. So there's a lot of things that you and I can do like every day to like save water, plant a tree, like those kinds of things. But she's right. really talking about um, bold planning, like policy planning. Mm -hmm. um, and she wanted to, she's, she talks about bringing that as a holistic approach to the national level. And she's working behind the scenes at New Consensus, which is basically a think tank, uh, which ties, which with ties to progressive lawmakers. So, um, you know, not just she's not just working on a community level as these other ladies were. She's working and, you know, trying to change policy in general for hopefully the nation and also, you know, eventually the world. Um, so the group's New Deal policy lead, she's she's charged with thinking through the nuts and bolts of the program and strategies to pitch the bold climate plan. Uh, progressive Democrats make further gains in Washington. Uh, gun rights proposals could wind up as law. That's fingers crossed there. Um, and these kinds of things is like where we really need Republicans who want to work with people. Because, I mean, probably they're thinking a lot of things. I mean, they're probably very idealistic people. That's what I'm thinking. And so maybe we can't go right away as far as they want to go, even though we might want to. We need people who are just like more practical, like, okay, let's phase this out. Like, how are we going to pay for it? Like, how are we going to do this? You don't just say like, no, we're not going to do that. It's woke. It's this. It's that. It's like you're supposed to be thinking of other other methods to do it or how we can get it passed. So don't just, you know, be against things for no freaking reason. Right. Um, and, like, if you are, and if you are a Republican voter, that's your job. They don't care what I, I'm just like some queer libtard bringing facts to a fucking fight. So <laughs> you don't care what I think. <laughs> it's your job. Like, I love you. <laughs> it's true. Oh, man. That's um, awesome. 
so this next lady, lady, is uh, Tessa Khan. She was living in Northern Thailand in 2015. She, we, I sort of like um, categorized her as law. <laughs> this is like another person who's trying to change the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was working on behalf of women's human rights nonprofit. Um, when a district, when a district course, course, <laughs> district court case uh, <laughs> got her attention. Uh, so basically, the Hague had ruled in favor of some 900 Dutch citizens and a group known as the Urgenda Foundation, which sued the Netherlands. Which we always think of the Netherlands as being pretty progressive, right? But they actually got sued and demanded that the state reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. And she realized that courts could be powerful. They could be a powerful tool to fight climate change and in the process mitigate what she calls one of the biggest systematic threats to international human rights. Um, You know, as with anything, whether it's COVID, whether it's um, rising sea levels, whether it's, you know, food shortages, water shortages, it's always going to hit the marginalized communities first and hardest. So, you know, she moved to London. She joined Urgenda, and where she provides legal assistance to people around the world who want to take their governments to court over inadequate climate policies. She says she hopes the case draws national attention to the actions governments need to take to reduce the use of fossil fuels and to show how ordinary people will be impacted by climate change. Hmm. As all of us. This just makes me feel very inadequate and underproductive and... No kidding. They got our, a lot show, of- our show is starting to make me feel like a big old loser. <laughs> well, and I always feel like, you know, like that lady, she saw that thing happen in 1973 mm-hmm. and she fully realized like what was happening, you know, then she worked through all the way up until 2000 to finally get something done. That's a lot of dedication and a That's lot of incredible and a lot of no's. Oh, uh, billions of no's and rudeness. And I yeah. can't even disappointed everything very very much admire these women absolutely um so the next person it her category i called diplomacy um mm. she's and she's somebody you might have heard of we try to we try to pick people on here that you may not have, may, may not have heard of but when they were having the whole discussion about the paris agreement they said her name quite a bit christiana figueres um She's heading a climate change nonprofit. She was heading it for eight years. She took the leadership of UNFCCC. I don't know what that stands for, it's, but it's the body responsible for international climate change negotiations. Unfuck is what that is. <laughs> Unfuck the planet. Um, <laughs> Why am I not on a committee to name these things? Unfucked, yes. Um, <laughs> So the fail, the world failed to reach an agreement in the, at the 2009 Copenhagen summit, they got together and they tried to, you know, come up with a climate change plan and, you know, they couldn't do it. There's a lot of, uh, strong opinions, a lot of political maneuvering and showboating, but they just couldn't get, they couldn't come up with an agreement. So she injected what they called a unique sense of optimism, <laughs> attempting to remove the talks from what she calls the political trash can which can be said mm. for many things, including climate change. Well, yeah, okay. in this case, though, it worked. She successfully steered world leaders to reach the Paris Agreement in 2015, along with a number of other women involved in the negotiation. Figueres was successful in shedding an important light on the gender dimension of climate change. Um, 
apparently she's now writing a book about what the world needs to do in the next 10 years to combat climate change. I'm sorry, it sounds like I'm in Grand Central Station. For whatever reason, my dogs like walk up down the stairs. I don't know what they're doing, but they're coming up and down the stairs like every Oh, time. no, let me tell you what the cats are doing. So <laughs> they like the, they have these little plastic spring toys. And one of the cats, Tom, will actually play fetch for 20 minutes. He'll bring it back to me for 20 minutes. It's insane. <laughs> And when we moved out of the old place, I found like this huge stash of them under this one piece of furniture. So I scooped them all up and I put them in a paper bag along with like, you know, bits and pieces of detritus from living there, nails, screws, thumbtacks, random shit. (laughs) So there's this Trader Joe's paper bag in my closet that has papers and all that detritus in it. And there's about 20 of these plastic cat toy springs in there. And Tom is a smart little shit, and he, there's so much stuff in my closet, you have no idea. But he found this one paper bag, and he found the the springs in the bottom of it, and he's going in there and fishing all of them out. And I have, um, like, laminate flooring, so they're batting these plastic things around in mass, like it's a World Cup situation here. <laughs> they're, they're playing so, hockey. They are. I have not um, heard your dogs, but I have been self-conscious about my cat. So carry on. I Where my desk is is right next to where the stairs come down. So it's like every time mm-hmm. it's like. Brr, brr. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like having kids. <laughs> um, okay. So the next lady is, she's a brainy one. Her name's Kate Marvel. I like that she sounds like a superhero. Totally. Uh, but she she's basically a climate change storyteller. Um, she said, I don't, I don't see doing science and talking about science as a mutually exclusive thing. Uh, in 2013, as a postdoctoral research researcher at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, she helped discover that human activity had almost definitely changed global rainfall patterns. I know there's been a lot of talk, mostly on the right side, about how humans don't (laughs) affect weather. Please learn, first of all, please learn the difference between weather and climate. That's where that's the first issue. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she she helped uh, prove that it most that they you know did change rainfall patterns. And today she's an associate research scientist at the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies at Columbia. Uh, she recently par- partnered with colleagues to study climate models and tree rings. Her discovered and discovered that climate change has been affecting drought since 1900. Her approach to dealing with climate change might be best summed up in her 2017 TED Talk. Uh, and the quote from that is, uh, we don't know for sure what the future holds, but we are sending our kids there and they're never coming back. I want them to be prepare- prepared for what they'll face. Mm. Um, but yeah, I so this is like mini story, but uh, when... So the school that I went to was small private school. And if you had a major that had anything to do with writing, they, you basically had to do a thesis. Like even if, even it wasn't a graduate. So you had to make a thesis, you had to prevent. And I wish other schools did this because it's very obvious that this is a needed skill in today's world, but you had to present both sides First of all, you had to say what you like, what you what your understanding was, what your opinion was. Then you had to present both sides, and then have to say if your opinion changed, how it changed, why it changed, like whatever. But um, I did mine on clear cutting back then in mm-hmm. the nineties. It was like it was right when the clear cutting started to get talked about. 
And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you remember the whole spotted owl thing. And mm-hmm. people are like, who cares about spotted owls? But, you know, timber industry. But it's like, okay, but they're an indicator species, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I in, in that research, um, there's a lot of um, societies that went through kind of what we're doing on a, on a small, on a, you know, microcosm. For instance, there's a lot of um, ancient Indian, uh, Native American, um, South American also um, societies who disappeared that we didn't, we didn't know why we don't know why, but they found that it's usually because um, they cut down all their wood, (laughs) which, you know, degraded their soil, which clogged up their water supply which change, you know, is they cut down a bunch of wood to build things and they built a bunch of stuff that polluted their environment, basically. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not hard to see that humans do affect their environment. And but during and- the peak of COVID, when everybody was at home, mm-hmm. um, my husband and I had to drive down to LA. And first of all, the grapevine was, that's the, the route down to Los Angeles. You have to go through the mountains. Um, was practically empty, which it never is. And the sky was the bluest I've ever seen it in my entire life living here. And that was just after about six weeks of shutdown. Uh-huh. It, it came, it came back to, you know, some sort of a blue, it looked like a sky <laughs> in just that short a period of time. So I don't know how anybody can question that. I mean, the amount of vehicles that we drive alone. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to throw no. it in there. I think you're totally right. And well, in Denver, we have like 1970s traffic. Like <laughs> I remember, like yeah, kid, there was hardly any traffic. But you could see. I mean, I remember seeing like a lot of pictures from the 70s in Denver, and it looked like the mountains were so much closer. Yeah. And but I realize now it's just because the air was that much clearer. Because I'm just like exactly oh, look really that close. Um, but it I also like that we have rain now in January. We never had rain, like we never had rain in oh, January yeah. when I was growing up. If you can live in Colorado and still not believe in climate change, well, and I feel like first of all, the narrative was like climate change isn't happening, but now it's so obvious that it's happening, they're like, okay, it's happening. But people aren't <laughs> You know, China's trying to trick us into thinking people that people are causing it. Well, people are causing it because they've been causing it on (laughs) different levels since China would know. I'm just saying I'm not always like a big proponent of China, but China would know about air pollution. It's awful. I went to China in 95, I think, 96, maybe. And the the air was bad then. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine like now how much worse it is. And as I said before, it's like, I know you small government people like to think we don't need the EPA, but trust me when I tell you we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when it all just comes about, uh, you know, money and jobs and whatever, and they don't care about their waterways and they don't care about their air. It's not a pleasant place to live. So we do. Um, okay. So the next person is, the root of any getting anything done, it has to do with dollar signs in this country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to transitioning off of fossil fuels, like the whole thing is like, but jobs, whatever. <laughs> um, so the next person we're talking about is Ann Simpson. 
She's the director of global governance in CalPERS, C-A-L-P-E-R-S, which is California's public pension fund. I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> Her employer ranks among the world's largest public funds, and she uses that sway um, to for more than $350 billion in investment to urge change. $350 billion. Um, early victories include pushing some of the world's biggest companies to disclose the risk of climate change poses to their businesses. Um, that's one thing that hardly ever gets talked about is basically like what, when we switch over to electric cars, it's going to cost us money. Well, climate change is going to cost you money, too. Exactly. Um, she helps lead Climate Action 100 Plus, which is an investor led initiative to engage behind-the-scenes negotiations to demand the world's 100 biggest greenhouse gas emitters change their ways. Um, and it's prompt, already prompted companies like the mining giant Glencore to cap coal production and oil and glass major Shell. I feel like we've, you know, Shell's talked about Shell a lot. Yeah. Um, to commit emission reduction targets. Um, she said that basically investor activism, it just makes good business sense, which it does. We can't, I mean, when the state's on fire, <laughs> which has happened a lot here, the, I right. mean, there's probably an insurance, there's several insurance companies that are going broke because I don't like, was it, I don't know, 120 homes burned down, um, you know, a few months ago here in Colorado from a bushfire because we had such a dry winter. So, you know, right. they're, they're going to cost. So there's no business. And her quote is, there's no business that can function without a healthy ecosystem. So that is her. Uh, and so these next late two ladies are basically like innovators. Um, the first person I've tried to pronounce, <laughs> tried to practice pronouncing this name and I've screwed it up every time, but I'm going to try it again. It's an Indian name. Um, Code Kachakorn. Vorakum. I've probably butchered your name. I doubt you're listening, but I'm sorry anyway. I think Kachakorn is right. Kachakorn Vorakum. Vorakum. Where's she from? Um, I think she she's from Southeast Asia somewhere. Bangkok, oh, maybe? Bangkok. Yeah. That does not look Asian. That looks <laughs> Norwegian. But anyway, carry on. Yes. I there's a there's a commercial that talks about this, I feel like, that there's in as an experiment. Um, kindergartners planted seeds in sidewalk cracks. Oh, yeah. So, so, same kind of thing. She used to try, you know, when she was a kid, she used to try to pry apart cracked pavement to let seedlings burst through. Mm -hmm. um, but now she's a landscape architect and she designs wow. uh, park size cracks to help Southeast Asia's megacities cope with climate change. If you've ever been to Bangkok or you've been to, um, you know, Malaysia, that's a lot of concrete and glass, mm -hmm. but a lot of buildings now have gardens on the top because not mm -hmm. only can you grow food, but it also helps with the insulating. Yeah. yeah. Insulating. Um, she has an 11 acre project at, <laughs> this is another one, Chulongkorn University, which is Bangkok's new first public park in 30 years and won awards for its innovative design, which adds much-needed green lungs to a dense metropolis and absorbs and reuses excess water, um, plaguing Thailand's capital. One of the one of the locations most at risk from worsening storms, floods, and sea level rise. Um, this year, she will open a 36-acre plot with the capability of storing more than 2.5 million gallons of water. Her social enterprise, the Porous City Network, champions green inter in, interven, inver, interventions like these thirsty parks. 
as well as urban farming, green roofs, and canal restoration to help vulnerable communities in Southeast Asia adapt to the coming deluge. Sea levels are rising, so we're going to have to figure out innovative I ways wish, to do it. I wish that we could figure out a way to transport water like instantly, like in a Star Trek kind of way, because, you know, where I am in, in much of California, we're in this century long drought, but right. century long, I don't know, but it's just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse all the time. Like the drought is so bad and it used to be sort of like a weather cycle situation. Like you were talking the between weather and climate. Now <clears throat> our climate has changed here, but we don't get any rain. And yet where I live, we grow a large percentage of our country's produce. And I mean, everything from almonds, tomatoes, strawberries, a lot of it here. Right. But we have no rainfall. So we have to buy our water back in the, what, turn of the century? Or was it later than that? LA, I mean, no shade. Okay. All the shade. I don't like LA. Um, LA literally stole water from different parts of California. Um, anyway, like we don't have water and then there's places that have like way too much water. And it's like, right. I wish that we could figure out, it's like the comedian Brian Regan has this one bit where he's talking about, you ever driving down the road, you see a log truck coming in this direction and then you see a log truck going in the other direction and you're like, Hey, you have logs over there. They have logs over there. <laughs> it's like, it's similar. Like, why can't we just like, I don't know. I Star Trek needs to happen, you know? I know. Well, it, I mean, and there's so many places like Africa, whatever that. Oh my God. Yeah. Could you, you know, could use a pipeline of water. Um, and Sure. There's certain inter inter inventions like, so there's like, I've had in my brain like for a really long time, a clean water project I want to do. So when I'll have time to do it, or I don't know, but at some point, but I know in um, places like, uh, I think like in Peru, places where it's humid, basically, mm -hmm. they created um, basically water catching vessels so they can actually get water out of the air because mm -hmm. it's so humid and, you know, they can get Ugh. clean water out of the air. Right. Um, and they, there's places in India, I know that, you know, water, water bacteria there, there's a lot of waterborne illness in, in India mm -hmm. and they have cisterns where they have, um, magnifying glasses on the top and which magnifies the sun and heats up the water and even just heating it up even 10 or 15 more degrees, not to boiling, you know, it kills like a pretty big percent of that waterborne wow or whatever so i mean there there's so many innovative things that are happening um you know regarding water because it, it is a it is a problem and it's going to be you know even bigger problem as we go along and, well, and it seems to me like desalinization is should be a priority like if the ocean levels are rising and that's a problem and we need water on the land then you know yeah absolutely Maybe i'm crazy i don't know <laughs> you're probably crazy but that's okay we know that I'm crazy, but I might still have a point. But anyway, you do have a point. Carry on. Yeah, you do have a point. Um, okay, so there's been a lot of conversation over the past decade or so about how um, plastic doesn't biodegrade. 
So there was a young lady named Miranda Wang who was on a school field trip and she went to a waste management facility. Um, and, you know, she was shocked about how much plastic she saw there. And they were talking about how long it takes for plastic to degrade and whatever. And she thought, well, it could be a good thing that it doesn't degrade. So we can use it for building things. We can use it for, mm -hmm. you know. So um, she's 25. The ripe old age of 25, she is the CEO and co-founder of a Silicon Valley startup called BioSelection, C-E-L-L-E-C-T-I-O-N, oh. uh, that transforms the most commonly used and unrecyclable plastics into new materials uh, using pioneering chemical technology. Um, she said, plastics are just natural compounds and natural carbons tied together in an unnatural way. So once you disrupt that, you can make these natural building blocks to make anything. So you, we can make a product from a plastic garbage bag that's not that's not only useful in new products, but is biodegradable and can break down. So the company's pilot program with San Jose's California Waste Management Facility has already received accolades from groups like the UN Environmental Program. And now Wang is settle, setting her sights on other cities all over the world. And she's currently 25? She is currently 25 and the CEO of Bioselection... What the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> I had I'm twice a lot her of that age and I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? This is depressing. It's like <laughs> inspirational, but also depressing. <laughs> and last lady I wanted to talk about, I left her for last because I feel like she has a good question for all of us. Um, her name is Winona LaDuke. She is a member of the Ojibwa um, community. And she is, an, she's been an activist for a long time. You may have heard her name as the vice president uh, for the Green Party, Ralph Nader. She, he named her as her oh. his VP, um, running mate. But uh, she's, you know, been, she's a renowned activist. She's working on sustainability um, questions for a very long time, energy, food systems. Um, she lives and works on the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota and... Like I said, she's a two-time VP candidate with Ralph Nader for the Green Party. She is the director of um, Honor the Earth. Um, she works nationally and internationally on the issues of climate change, renewable energy, environmental justice uh, with indigenous communities. And in her own community, she is the founder of White Earth Land Recovery Project, one of the largest reservation-based nonprofit organizations in the country and a leader in the issues of culturally-based sustainable development strategies, renewable energy, and food systems. In this work, she also continues national and international work to protect indigenous plants and heritage foods from patenting and genetic engineering. Mm -hmm. I just read today that there's, there's a forest that they opened up, I just thought of it, that they're gonna allow indigenous people to go and they can go into the national forest to gather plants. They It was closed mm -hmm. for a long time, so. Hmm. That's good. good. Anyway. In 2007, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, recognizing her leadership and community commitment. And in 1994, was nominated by Time Magazine as one of America's 50 most promising leaders under 40 years of age. She's been awarded the Thomas Burton Award in 1966, the Ms. Woman of the Year, um, which she shares with the Indigo Girls. I don't know how they... <laughs> and the Reebok Human Rights Award. The White Earth Land Recovery Project has won many awards, including the 2003 International Slow Food Award for Biodiversity, recognizing the organization's work to protect wild rice from patenting and genetic engineering. 
Um, but she has a, she has a book and she has a lot of talks, basically, um, the title of which is What Kind of Ancestor Do You Want to Be? So I feel like that is a good um, question we can all ask ourselves, like how, mm-hmm. how to set our ancestors and things like that. Think of small ways that you can do, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be I'm going to remodel the house and put solar panels. It's, you know, how can I save water? How can I cut down on two car trips a week or, you know, whatever. Well, I did. Um, I think that would be a good title for this show, like how to be a better ancestor, but we'd be yeah. stealing it from her. Um, when my kids were little, they loved drinking out of a straw with like everything. And I used to buy those, you know, packs of like a hundred single use straws at the grocery store. And, um, you know, we, I don't know how fast we went through them. Not that fast, but then, um, several years ago, I just invested in some reusable straws and I was like, you know, I have probably not put 200, 300, 400, 500 straws into a landfill just by making this one little change. I don't care for the glass straws. I mean, they're nice, but that's just risky for me because I'm stupid. And I don't love the stainless ones, but the the reusable plastic ones, I feel like are okay. It's still plastic. Yeah, I know, but um, it's better than 500 plastic. (laughs) And we... I, I am so weird about having water with me. I have to have water with me. I am the most hydrated bitch you have ever met. I don't know what my problem is, but if I do not have water, I like kind of freak out. And so I have always oh, your skin had. skin is so beautiful. <laughs> Seriously. I've always had. Well, thank you. Why I've always had just like a pack of water bottles in the car. Um, but I stopped doing that because Jason Momoa did a campaign a couple of years ago and I was like, okay, I'll do it for JJ. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, I don't know why it took seeing Jason Momoa to tell, I don't know, because I knew like these are bad and we go, we would go through so many plastic bottles. And so now all three of us have, you know, weaned ourselves off of tasty plastic bottled water and we just, fill up, you know, glass or metal containers. And at first it was like, because I have to remember to fill it up all the time when I get in the car. And sometimes I forget. And then I panic because I'm five minutes away from home and I don't have water and I'm weird. But um, (laughs) mostly it's been fine. (laughs) I'm still here and still hydrated. And I feel really good about those little changes. And those little changes are great. And I think there's so many of us that are, are doing things that are conscientious that way. Also, I'm, you know, a big fan of Starbucks, I don't need a straw or, you know, give me that lame ass cardboard straw that I'm going to hate in 30 minutes. Fine. Save a turtle. Um, but the big changes come at the corporate level and the industrial level. And there really is so little accountability up there. They're always pushing us to like, do this and do that. And but, and then you've got the big industrial monsters and the oil companies and the chemical plants and like fuck our straw problem the big problems are up there and I don't know it's I I guess I'm saying two things I'm saying little changes do make a big difference over time if I think about over the last five years how many straws we haven't put in a landfill um and it's worthwhile just you know just from a landfill 
um, logistics perspective. Like there's just only so many holes we can dig to put shit in. Um, not to mention, you know, what all of that is doing to the atmosphere and the climate and all that. But um, also saying that I wish that there was more accountability to the big players and not just us little people trying to save a turtle with a paper straw. <laughs> Which brings me to my next point. Okay, good. About I didn't even know that because you did the notes and I'm just a slacker. <laughs> About uh, gas prices. Ugh. So right now, um, you know, the Democrats, you know, Biden, you know, whoever you want to, you know, point fingers to is they're really trying to pass this green agenda, this climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to really focus on, you know, electric cars and, you know, coal, getting away from coal and getting away from gas and all that stuff. And they're getting pushback. Why? We don't know because they don't have a platform, but they're getting a pushback. Um, (laughs) But the fact that people are so, they're, you know, up in arms about gas prices, I get it. I don't like paying this much for gas either. Mm -hmm. However, it's really the oil companies that are keeping these prices elevated, partly because they're greedy fucks. Mm-hmm. Also because they realize that Biden's going to get a lot of pushback because gas prices are high. So that he's going to have That's to exactly right. Like things are going to get done or whatever. So yep. if you're complaining about gas prices, just think about not complaining about any one person complaining, but complain about the oil companies because they're the ones really doing it and they're doing it. Like I said, not only because they're trying to get, you know, line their pockets more, they're doing it. So that's your back plan. Go back. Yeah. We'll go back to the way things are getting done. Pumping more oil and more refineries stuff. It's a political scratch your back game because, and I worked in the oil industry for a long time. The, you know, they're obviously going to side with the right or what, I mean, I don't even know what to call the parties anymore. Republican, right, Democrat, left fucked up less fucked up more fucked i don't know tweedledee tweedledum thing one thing two anyway um <laughs> the, left, they, the right <laughs> yeah the industrial sector in general oil companies plastic companies all of them are going to lean to the right because the right tends to be more friendly and forgiving to them they're not wanting to tax them up the ass they're not wanting to limit their emissions and their all that um Right. So it's a, you know, you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours, here's a bunch of money, you protect our, our uh, ability to function as a grossly polluting monster, nice doing business with you, thanks. So it's gross. It's extremely gross. So I'm, you know, I... I hope shows like this, people like talk about it because all I, all I see on the news is gas prices, inflation, it's hard on American Mm. families, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, okay, but now you're just encouraging people to criticize the people who are trying to change this. It's like, if you had Mm. an electric car, you'd be like, gas prices are high. Cool. Don't care. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? But you know, we can't get to that point until we get some infrastructure done because if you, your neighbor and some people down the street had a gas, had a uh, electric car, you'd probably cause a brownout in your neighborhood right now because the electric Ab- that's that right now that's absolutely true and the 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 price to get into electric vehicles is cost prohibitive for most people like right. i would love to have an electric vehicle but it's not really practical at my you know at the price point that i can do 
And I can't drive one of those tiny little cars. My fucking purse wouldn't fit in there, let alone my ass. So, you know, I need to have a decent sized vehicle. Um, anyway, it's, you know, they've, they build in so many barriers to entry and it's like, what, who are you making these for then? It's dumb. Right. It's all dumb. Everybody is doing more than me in the world. My house is a mess. I'm very depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even find my wallet. That's where I'm at in my lifetime right now. I can't see. Don't even know what my driver's license is right now. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I can't even see if the air is polluted because I lost my glasses. It, um, it is really good, you know, conversation fodder for people. I don't know. I hope that people will think about it a little bit the way I thought about my, you know, plastic straws and my water bottles. and um, I don't know. I mean, little changes matter. Big changes matter. It all matters. It would be nice if we could agree on anything anywhere in this country. <laughs> We're a well, do mess, some critical but... thinking and following the money. That's that's my thing. I think I feel like yeah. if more people did that, we'd be a lot better off than we are now. Yeah, I agree. That's my opinion. So that wraps up this week's bitch story lesson about Earth Warriors and Sheroes. As always, we hope to learn something new. Uh, this podcast uploads every two weeks. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or consider sponsoring us so we can keep being bitch Dorians. Check out anchor.fm forward slash bitch and look for the support button. You can email us at kelly at thebitchwhisperer.me or find us on Instagram at bitchstory.pod. Um, we'd love a follow over there if you could. Thanks for hanging out with us, bitches. Have a great week and go make bitchery.